it's a double-edged sword because you can do email marketing and make money because it doesn't cost a lot on the front end to send an email. And so a lot of people are like, there you go, it's profitable. We're spending this and we're getting that and it's profitable. And what they don't understand is if they spent a little bit more, they could increase revenue by 100% or 200% or 300%. And so it almost works against it. It's like the underdog. You're like, oh, that's good. That's nice. You're making a, a little return. That's good. This week on Inboxing, Gene Jennings, email marketing strategist, consultant, trainer, speaker, chair of the Email Innovation Summit, and GM of Only Influencers. So I'm glad you showed up. It's great to see you again. Good to see you. Introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from and what you do. Sure. So my name is Gene Jennings. I'm founder and CEO of Email Optimization Shop. And basically, I help companies make their email marketing more effective and more profitable. So I do a lot of A-B split testing with my clients. I'm a strategist. So we do a lot with segmentation and targeting and automation. And really, when a company hires me, and I've worked with some, been really lucky, I've worked with some great brands like Hasbro and Verizon and PayPal and Scholastic, and which is really cool. And really, what I do is typically come in, take a look at what they're doing. And then we figure out where we can make it better, stronger, faster, more powerful, more profitable. And then we start in A-B split testing to make sure that we're doing things in the right way. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So working email for a very long time. What was that journey like? How did that happen? I started my career in online after graduate school in 1989, which is pretty early. Most people didn't know what the internet was, and I was working for CompuServe, which was really fun. So I got in really early. It's funny. We used to do, we were developing things. The CompuServe system was all text, no images. So we used to call it bleeding edge, not cutting edge, but we called ourselves on the bleeding edge because we would basically work with clients. Marriott was one of the clients we supported out of our office here in D.C. And imagine how they could take their offline communication online and then work with our folks at CompuServe, the tech side, to build it. So it was really fun. So that's kind of how I got into online. And then I was working online. I was working in the publishing industry and doing websites, also doing email newsletters, all sorts of different kinds of digital projects. And one of my, I worked at a dot-com that, that ended up laying a bunch of us off. And my boss there actually went to Reed Elsevier, to their Reed Business Information Group in the U.S. And God bless him. His name is Mark Potts. He's still one of my mentors. He's an amazing guy. And he called me and he said, look, I've got a job. It's, it's email marketing. It's head of all email marketing. And he goes, I know you can do it. And he said, so it'll make you a deal. I'll hire you for this job. And if you don't like it in six months, we'll move you. We'll do something else. We'll take you out of email. And I said, okay, because I loved working with him. It was a great team there. And that kind of got my focus started on email. Once I got in there, I remember just being so excited and really loving the work. And I remember at one point just feeling like, oh my God, this is like in my DNA. Like I just know how to do this. And again, it was still really early. That was 2000, but it was really fun. So that's how I got started. And I just feel really lucky to have had those opportunities early on. So you've been doing email, like Reed Elsevier is a big publishing house, right? Like they do like textbooks for the most part. I know from textbooks and now online courses. They're actually a, they're a big global publisher. And I was working with their business information, with business information division. So they had a hundred B2B publications around the United States. They were the biggest B2B publisher in the country at that time. The one everyone knew was they owned Variety out in Los Angeles. And so we got the pleasure of working with Variety. I took Variety from one email newsletter to eight. And that was a big revenue boost for them because selling advertising in their newsletters was a good revenue stream. And then they had 99 other publications like bulk powder and solids in the manufacturing industry. And they had something called, I think it was like Playmates, but that was for people who owned toy stores. So it was really a cool company. And it was nice to have their publications were well-respected. They had, for that time in email marketing, they had really big subscriber lists. So we're able to do a lot with A-B split testing. I remember doing this deep dive segmentation on the variety list when we were trying to sell, we kept flipping variety. Variety kept going from the content's free and it's advertising revenue to no, you have to pay for the content, but there's still advertising revenue. And so I remember doing work on the subscription plans to get people to click through from the newsletter and then they'd get the soft door slam 
I'm so sorry. This is content is only for subscribers, but here are a million ways to subscribe. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to work there. They had a lot of money to do things and a really good subscriber base and really great people. That that was, I'm still close with a lot of the people from that team. Right. When you left there, is that when you started consulting? Or? It is. Yeah, yeah. They laid off. I'm sorry, I'm getting over a cold, hence the tissue. So <laughs> I apologize. It was 2001. It was actually September. And they let go the entire digital team because they wanted to focus on their core competency, which was print publications. And I even had someone high up there got in a heated debate because he was telling me the internet was a fad and it was going to go away. And I was, and he was older than I was at the time. We were the young hotshots. If you're listening, sir, it wasn't <laughs> still here. But that decision was not good for RBI. They ended up they ended up selling the publications off piecemeal. They're no longer around. Back in 2001, that was not a good business decision to go all in on the print publishing side of things. Wow, wow. So you're saying they were like, like a common nest? Like, I guess that'd be like a parallel business? Yeah, in the B2B world. Uh-huh. Got so really funny nest is more B2C, but yeah. Oh, yeah, they were. All right. All right. It was really fun right. flying all over the country and... It was a good time. It was a great group. We didn't sleep much. We were working all the time, but uh, it was a great team. When you came out of there, you started the email. Was it Ben also? Email optimization shop? It took me a while to come around to that name. I think <laughs> initially when I got let go from Reed, I actually was really lucky. I got three calls that first week to consult. And of course, my answer was, I'm going to go to the beach for a while, so I'll get back <laughs> to you next month, which... Now, being a longtime person who's worked for myself, I've worked for myself ever since then, that kind of amazes me because when you work for yourself, you never say things like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that kind of started it. I figured I'd consult until I got a full-time job. So I was interviewing and I never really, I got some job offers, but they were the same or less money I was making consulting. So it didn't really make sense to go all in on that. And then I got a call out of the blue from Hasbro and was invited to pitch Hasbro they said, hi, we've been reading your stuff and we really like it. And I was like, thank you. Because I was writing for ClickZ every other week and they were publishing my articles. And we wondered if you were an agency. And I said, define agency. You've got to have copywriters and you have to have designers and coders and you got to have strategists and you got to. And I said, yeah, I, I could put that together. Sure, I could be an agency. And so we went up and pitched Hasbro with Jeff Aiken, who was my designer at the time, and Rick Kilcoin, who was our coder. And we had, uh, we had another copywriter who left us, but then Pat Friesen came on board and we won the Hasbro account and we beat out like real agencies, which was wild to me at the time, but that was really started off. I remember signing that contract. It was a two-year deal. And I realized that I couldn't take another full-time job for two years, but Paul Becker there is the one who hired us. And uh, again, just feel so blessed. I feel like I've always worked very hard, but the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I think it's important when you're in the world to take advantage of opportunities and give stuff a try. Yeah, I've been really lucky to have a lot of opportunities. And again, like great people to work with. Jeff Aiken's an amazing designer. Pat Fries is an amazing copywriter. So it, yeah, it's just, it's really great. That's what- Are they people, sorry for going off, were those people, did you know them before you brought them in or like from other jobs or things, places you met them? Yeah, the original team at Has that I brought in for Hasbro, I knew them. Some of them came from Reed, some of them came from other places, but they were all people that I knew. Our original copywriter needed to leave us. There were some issues there. Pat, I actually met through Hasbro. They had worked with her on something else. And so I talked to her on the phone. She seemed great. We brought her in and she's now, I consider her one of my best friends. I don't see her enough. She lives in Kansas. You know, I, I whenever I go to Kansas, which I used to go every year to speak at a conference there, I stay with their family and it's just really lovely. I think that's the other nice thing about the email industry is there's this whole community there and a lot of us know each other and everybody, everybody's pretty cool about things and you might be competitors today, but you might be working on the same team tomorrow and there's enough work to go around. It's funny because when I was coming up, there were two other women who were roughly my age, I think roughly my age, doing the same thing, Kath Pay of holistic email marketing and Karen Talavera of synchronicity marketing. And we actually got to be friendly and we actually are still friendly. And there are times when we're competing against each other for clients. It doesn't happen much anymore, but there's times when we would work together for clients. And so it's just, it's a really, 
lovely industry. And one of the reasons we're going to talk later about Only Influencers, which is a community of email marketers that I'm the GM of, that also kind of came out of this industry that was always already like that, but just magnified it tenfold. It makes it easier to meet people and get to know people. But yeah, it's a really, it's a really great industry. Yeah, it really is. I, you know, I've been in it for 10 years about and Slack channels and yeah, just yeah, conferences. It's just everyone loves each other. Everyone's very willing to help. Yeah, don't be afraid to become an email marketer. It's a great community. It's, we can't recommend it enough. Anyway. Yes. So yeah, so you've been doing, did it pan out? Do you think it would grow this way? Like, how do you feel this? Well, I wish I could tell you that I had that kind of foresight. In my interview with CompuServe back in 89, I remember I had some pitch about, I had some statistic about how quickly information was growing. And my pitch was that the only way we're going to be able to manage this much information was online. And so online was the future. And I'm not even sure I knew what that meant when I was saying that back in 89. I don't think I imagined what we have now. So no, I, again, it's been a, it's been a lovely journey. It's been so great to meet so many people on, along the way. And yeah, I'm not sure I really planned any of this. Like a lot of us, I fell into email marketing, but definitely it's a lot of fun. For sure. All right. Is there anything that really surprised you? I think it still surprises me that email doesn't get more respect. Mostly it's all good now, but a couple of years ago, I had a family from my church staying with me at my house. They had moved and they were back in town and their teenage son over dinner one night was just like, you're just a spammer. You're just a spammer. And I was like, dude, you're staying at my house. Email paid for all this. Like, <laughs> fine. So I think that still surprises me. I think it's okay though. I feel like I've often in my life been underestimated. And I think email is often underestimated by the people who don't really know it. And I actually think that's fine because that gives us a lot of opportunity. That makes it hands off and we can do things that we need to do. And when people actually start paying attention to it, they're always like, wow, really? You doubled <laughs> our revenue from that? And I said, yeah. I think that that's interesting. I think that there's a silly old quote from a baseball player in the States, and it's something like, oh gosh, I wish I could get it right the way he said it. But his point is when sex is like pizza, when it's great, it's really great. And when it's just okay, it's still pretty good. And email, I think it's like that. And I think it's a double-edged sword because you can do email marketing and make money because it doesn't cost a lot on the front end to send an email. And so a lot of people are like, there you go, it's profitable. We're spending this and we're getting that and it's profitable. And what they don't understand is that they spent a little bit more, they could increase revenue by 100% or 200% or 300%. And so it almost works against it. It's like the underdog. You're like, oh, that's good. That's nice. You're making a, a little return. That's good. And so in a way, I think it's really fun because you go into a company that's been happy. They're fine with their email program, which is usually the situation I have. There's not a big problem. And then you start increasing revenue exponentially and then people get excited about it. So I think it's okay that it's underestimated. Right. I guess it gives you, if they're expecting a lot, then you have to hit a home run every time. But I guess, it's, okay, email, go ahead. Do. Oh, wow, you did that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm famous for projecting a 20% increase in revenue and then the lift will be 150 and they'll be like, oh, come on, you had to know. And I'm like, I never, ever do that. I always lowball it. <laughs> Under promise, over deliver, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right. When you open your inbox, what makes your blood really boil? <laughs> you know, I, I'm actually a really pretty chill person. So I'm not sure that there's anything that makes my blood really boil. The thing I feel sometimes when I look at email is I get bummed because I can tell there's, I can tell that they're trying, right? They're sending an email and they just don't know what they don't know. And there's a lovely lottery pastry shop here in Georgetown. And they're a big chain. They're French. I get, I got an email a while ago from them. And it was obviously like done from the local level, but literally it was like, hi, here's like our offerings for, it was some holiday. And it was a, an attachment. And you and I both know that's <laughs> you do this. So mostly it just makes me bummed that they don't know how to do it. And there's even a woman in the industry who's awesome and lovely. And I think she's been in the industry about 10 years, about how long you've been. And 
I was talking to her on a Zoom and she was telling me how when she got in the industry 10 years ago, there was just no information. You had to make it up as you went. There was nobody out there. And I felt so bad for her because I'd been writing for Click Z since 2000, 2000 or 2001. And those articles were all out there. And I know other people that have been writing. One thing I would say is that if you're doing email marketing, there are so many resources out there that you can leverage and you really want to. Click Z is still a good resource. A lot of the things that I wrote about email back in 2003 even, which sounds crazy, is still relevant today if you're new to the channel. I'll, there were a whole lot of people who were writing for Click Z that were really great. I'm going to put in a plug. HubSpot does a lot of really good stuff for beginners on email. They have a lot of stuff. The litmus blog can be great, especially if you're a designer. You've got to be reading the litmus blog because design for email is different than design for web. Email Rules by Chad White, which is a book and a blog. And congrats to Chad. He just published his fourth edition of the book. And I was so honored. He asked me to be one of the beta readers. So I got to read it first, which was really exciting. I kept making notes like, this is a really good point, but what about this? And then two pages later, he dive into that, this that I mentioned that he hadn't covered. I'd be like, oh, disregard that previous comment. And he was so sweet when I, when I talked to him, I'm like, I'm doing that to you. He goes, no, it's good. It means like we're on the same page. And then his blog is just great. So if you're not checking it out, look at that. Uh, I'm really proud of the work. We do it only influencers. We have a blog. We have about 25 people that write for it. We publish two articles a week. And it's really great. It's very groundbreaking. If you remember when MPP came about in the fall of 2021, male privacy protection, everyone was wondering what that was going to mean at OI. It was, I'm sorry, now my voice is going. It wasn't because <laughs> we had people who were just members of OI and they were looking into it for their companies and because they were interested and so we were early out of the gate with articles about MP, with webinars about MP, telling people what our folks were seeing, trying to give advice on how to prepare. So the OI blog is really great for stuff like that. And then I publish a blog and a newsletter. Mostly I write about what I'm working on, but I publish the results of a lot of AB split tests. So I think it's a great way to get ideas. I try to give people ideas about how they should test. I always also try to educate about using proper frameworks so you're going to get good results. So there's a lot of content out there if you're doing email marketing. And I just would really advise that you take a look at it because there's nothing sadder than getting an email where you know that they're trying to drive revenue for their business and they just don't have even the basics down and maybe it's the 201. But again, a little more effort and you can get a lot better results. And if you don't have time to read or do something like that, put some money in your budget for a consultant. I'm out there. There's a lot of other people out there that really are good. You're out there and bring somebody in. I work with my clients typically anywhere from three months to three years, depending on what the project is. A lot of times, like with Verizon, I worked with a lot of different teams. But even bringing someone in for three months, if you bring in the right person, if they work collaboratively with your, you or your team, and so that you understand not only what they're doing, but why they're doing it, those benefits pay off in the long term. You can take that and run with it. I always try to leave my clients in a place where they can run with the things that I've been doing on their own. For sure. That's awesome. What are the biggest mistakes that you've seen or the biggest mistake you've ever caught when you've been looking at under the hood of these companies? Yeah. I don't like to talk about mistakes. I don't know. I like to talk about oops moments or again, people who just don't know. Um, but there's a couple. I think there was a top brand in the email industry that had a problem with one of their automations. And I got the same email from them day after day after day. And I kept, I would click through and then I would like download and then I would read. And I was just like, what's going to make this stop? And I got to someone at the organization and they looked into it and he's, oh yeah, thank you. That was bad. Like everyone was getting it every day and there was like no stop. That is just a word to the wise. If you have automation set, you need to check them once in a while. And I think you should look at every automation at least once a year. If you can do it every three months, that would be even better or every month. Make sure the links work. Make sure it's working as it's supposed to. Make sure, you know, the images are rendering. You'd be amazed how many times somebody deletes an image from a server here and it affects an email over there. So that's one. Another kind of, oops, browse abandonment email and I'm a huge Marriott fan. 
That's where I stay when I travel. I'm in their frequent stay program. Properties are always lovely. But for a while, a couple of years ago, again, every time I would check into a property, I would get the browse about the browse a browse reminder email. Hey, are you still looking to go to Phoenix? Do you still stay? <laughs> and I'd be like, I just checked into the Marriott in Phoenix. Like I <laughs> And I think what happened was, you now typically when I'm traveling, it's for business. So I'll go and I'll look, figure out where I want to stay. Then I'll send my estimated budget to my client for approval. And then when they approve it, I'll go back and book. So I think what was happening was they were seeing me browse and not book. And then they never put anything in the trigger to say, did she go back at a later visit and book? Okay. That finally stopped blissfully. Both of those instances, I actually wrote about them in my blog. And the first one, the industry person reached out to me to say, I just read this on your blog and it's us. And then I don't know whether Marriott read my blog or figured it out some other way. But, you know, again, I think that's, it's just, oops, nobody intended it. And it's not that they're not smart people. It's just that something in the works wasn't working. Right, right, for sure. For sure. Yep. All right. You, everyone's made a mistake. <laughs> everyone's right? made Yes. All right. So what have you learned from a mistake you made that can help our audience? I think one of the biggest, when I was first, so I was working for CompuServe, which was all online, which was really great. And then in the mid nineties, when I went into the publishing world, there weren't jobs that were a hundred percent online. Print publishers, they wanted online people, but they didn't have enough online. I went in and I learned direct mail, which was a blessing because a lot of what I learned in traditional direct mail I was then able to apply to my email marketing, which is great. But um, I sent out, oh, I don't know, a couple million piece mailer for one of the publishers I worked for. This wasn't Reed. This is before Reed. And it had the wrong phone number on it to order, which is a big problem. And we figured it out. And we actually, I can't remember whether we had, I think whoever owned the phone number, I think we actually, I think they agreed to reroute the calls to us and we paid them a certain amount of money for every call they had to reroute to us, which was a nice way to handle it. But I think that was probably the biggest mistake that I've made. And what I learned from that is to proof everything. Because that was a situation where I think I was relatively new. I assumed that whoever had written the copy knew what the phone number was. So I didn't check it. The other people who looked at it assumed I had checked it, that it was the right phone number because it went through a whole bunch of people who looked at it. So that's, I think, when I learned to proof everything. And I'm already a bit type A about things. So when clients send me things to review, I typically read everything and click on everything. And I'll be like, it's exactly what it's supposed to be with the strategy. Nice job. But this link isn't working. This word is misspelled. So I think that's one thing I learned is to proof absolutely everything, even if you think there shouldn't be a problem and to take a look at it, not to assume anything. When I was first consulting on my own, I would work on a test and this happened a couple times and I would assume that the tracking and reporting was in place that we needed and that that's always a problem I had one client that said oh, you know it's great we have all these orders and I said that's great what's the split between versions and they said what do you mean and they didn't understand that we needed to know what this ver version brought in versus what that so that would be the other thing I said would think just thinking through the tracking and reporting making sure you have what you need. Attention, e-commerce business owners. Hi, I'm Hillel, and thank you for listening to Inboxing. Hillel Bergil Marketing is here to skyrocket your e-commerce sales. With personalized campaigns and conversion optimization, we'll help you maximize profits. Hillel Berg Email Marketing, your partner for success. Great. Yeah, I was going to say, you want to get some water? Sorry. It's fine. It's fine. We're humans. So what mistakes do you repeatedly being made? Again, I don't like to think of it as mistakes. I just like to think of it okay. as people who don't really, they don't understand. No better. Okay. I would say one of the things that I see a lot is, because I'm working with some big companies, they have multiple business units. Oftentimes there's a single database that everyone's going to. If they're all working on roughly like Scholastic, it's mostly teachers and administrators in schools. So they've got a big database of that. But I would say is over mailing. In that case with Scholastic, what we found is that, my gosh, there were like 
16 or 20 business units and they all wanted to hit the same part of the database. So they so you talk to them and they'd be like, we're not over mailing. We only mail once a day. And we'd be like, yeah, but there's 16 of you and you're all mailing once a day. And there's people who are getting 12 emails a day and they don't. Ah. So I think that's a big one. That's pretty easy to solve. That's really more of a trafficking issue. And the other thing we found there is everyone thought they wanted this group of the database, right? But what we found when we did the analysis on previous sales is that group A actually wanted this piece of the database and group B could work well with that one. So really focusing in and rather than trying to send to everyone, sending to the people who the, the, the offer is most relevant to. So I'd say overmilling is a big one that I see. The other thing that I see is some clients are undermailing. I have a client now where we started mailing earlier and we're getting more revenue and we're upped our frequency. And so there's really a, it's a balance. If you don't mail enough, you're leaving money on the table. If you mail too much, you're not getting the money that you should be getting. So you've really got to right size it for your business and even based on individuals, because there's some individuals who are super fans and they'll take a lot more emails than people who aren't. The other thing I've seen recently, which is a little weird, I've run into companies sending image-only emails, which I had not seen in many years. And just recently, it's popping up more and more. I think it's people who are, again, new to email. A lot of times they're doing it because it saves them having to hire a coder. They just literally need to have a designer and a JPEG image, and then they chop. They're smart. They chop it up so it can be clicked on in different places. And the problem with that is that image blocking is still an issue. And a lot of email clients block images by default. And if everything in your email is an image, there won't be anything to be seen if images aren't enabled. And so that's something that whenever we run into it, we do a lot of A-B split testing. It's pretty easy to see that it doesn't work as well. Even I had a client recently who had a big hero image at the top, which I see a lot, and that's where the headline was. And as soon as we took the headline out of the hero image and made it rich text, performance improved. So I think that's another thing I'm seeing recently. I think, I, again, I think it's people new getting into email and trying to cut corners on it, but that's not what you want to do. You want to do what's best for your audience because that's what's going to generate the most revenue, not what's best for your design team. Your workflow, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I'm shocked by some of the only emails that I'm getting. It's like, why? Why? It's terrible practice. It doesn't make for good experience. Exactly. Come on, guys. Anyway, can you give me your top five email marketing tips? Sure. Let's start with one of my favorite things, strategic resends. It's very important. When I say strategic resend, what I mean is resending the same email a week to 10 days later, but only to the people who clicked, but did not convert. This is really different. Most people who do resends, I see a lot of people doing resends to the people who didn't open the first time. But when I do strategic resends to people who clicked, but did not convert, we get amazing results. First of all, we get no unsubscribes. We get no spam complaints. I think that's because it's highly relevant. We get returns that are amazing. We just did a strategic resend for a brand new client. On the resend, we generated 85% of the revenue we got on the first send. So we almost doubled our revenue with that second send. The first send went to, gosh, I don't know, 100,000 people. The resend went to 350. Wow. But it was highly relevant. Yeah, like it's insane. And so there, it's a very low risk way to do it. Again, no spam complaints, no unsubscribes, highly relevant. My theory is that people are interested. They've clicked through. They're interested in buying, but they get distracted. Maybe if it's a B2C purchase, they want to check with a spouse or a friend or a family member. Maybe they were at work and their boss walked in and they stopped and had that conversation or the phone rang. So strategic resends are one of the things that I do with my clients on a pretty regular basis and they work very well. So that would be my first one. Second one, subject lines. 
When you're creating subject lines, make sure you put the very, the most important information first. My rule of thumb is the first 25 characters is where the key information, the key message in that subject line should be. It surprises me, right? Because we're going to talk about AI in a little bit. I have been playing with some of the AI subject line and pre-header creators. A lot of them don't follow this rule. Now, I'm curious to test it, but I just can't believe it's going to work because that is what you can guarantee the first 25 characters can be seen before truncation. Even if it's a very short subject line, for instance, we did a test where the original subject line, the control was holiday gifts under $10. It's pretty short, pretty to the point, it's pretty sweet. We tested it against under $10 holiday gifts. We got a 63% increase in revenue just by moving the most important part of that equation to the front of the subject line, the under $10. So that would be my second tip. Take a look at your subject lines. <laughs> Make sure the most important information is right there at the front. All right, ready for my third one? I'm ready. Automations. If you're just building automations, make sure you start at the bottom of your funnel. Start closest to your conversion and then work your way up. Because if you can increase, let's say, that rate of people who hit the landing page who end up buying by 10%, that's going to get you a lot more revenue than increasing the number of people who open the email by 10%. So focus on the bottom of the funnel first and optimize that. And then as you work your way up the funnel, everything you do up the funnel is going to benefit from the benefits that you've generated through your testing at the bottom of the funnel. Make All sense? Right. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Fourth one, A-B split test. Oh my gosh, if you're not A-B split testing or multivariate testing or doing some sort of bottom line performance-based testing on your email, you have to. That is the way that you are going to do better. That is the way that you are going to learn what works for your audience and leverage it. I like to do A-B split tests where we can build on the learning so we get the benefit, but we can use that going forward in every email or a lot of emails that we send. Uh, large lifts in performance, if you're testing right, are not unusual. 25%, 60%, 80%, 150%. And those are really great when you hit home runs like that. Even if you do a test that gets, an, let's say that you can average a 9% lift. If you can get a 9% lift over nine sends and you're compounding it by applying what you've learned each time, after nine sends, you've got more than 100% increase in your revenue. So that's very important to be doing that testing all the time. Finally, my fifth one, which ties into my fourth one, don't use diagnostic metrics as your KPIs. A diagnostic metric would be something like an open rate or a click-through rate that shows you how people interacted with the email, but it doesn't go directly to your bottom line performance. You need to use a business metric, something like revenue per email, something like conversion rate from sent, not from click, something like ROI, return on ad spend, return on investment, something that goes to revenue or sales. That needs to be your KPI. I went back a while ago, and this is an article that I published on my own blog and also on the OI Metrics blog, I looked at all the tests I did for a company over a, a three-year period. I'm sorry, a three-month period. 7% of the time, the highest click-through rate was also the highest revenue. 7% of the time. That means that if you're doing that, you're only getting it right probably about 7% to 10% of the time. And the rest of the time, you're getting it wrong. 36% of the time, the email that had the highest click-through rate didn't have the highest revenue. So in those cases, you'd be taking your email program in the wrong direction to work with those results. 57% of the time, there was such a small variance in click-through rates between the samples and the control that they were inconclusive. But when you looked at the revenue per email, it wasn't inconclusive at all. There was a clear winner. So I think that's my fifth one, and that's very important. I, it's the first thing I do when I work with a client. If we're using click-through rates as KPIs, if we're using heaven forbid, do not use open rates as your KPI for subject line test. Just because more people get into the email doesn't mean it's going to cause them to convert. So that would be my fifth one. Make sure you're using business metrics as your KPI. All right. That was awesome. Thanks. <laughs> for sure. How do you think email's changing? You mentioned AI, but 
But that's like what you said about in 1989, about the internet taking over, and we don't know where, or even you didn't know at the end of that time what you were saying. Yeah. Like AI is going to, what the hell is going to be in 10 years or in three years? So first of all, it's fun. A lot of us are playing with chat GPT. I, that is one of the keynotes at our conference this summer. Only Influencers is co-producer of the Email Innovation Summit, which is taking place in Vegas in June. And our opening keynote is on AI. I think there's definitely a place for it in marketing. There's so many things that it can do faster. I think we need to be careful though. I talked to a lot of email marketers and their feeling is that the AI must be smarter than they are. And that's one thing that I would challenge. I think the AI is great. I think there's ways we can use it, but I don't think we can or should assume that it's smarter than we are when it comes to email marketing. And so I think that's the important thing to remember there. I know that there's a lot of people that are using it for subject lines and preheader texts. I would just recommend very strongly that you A-B split test it against your own subject lines and make sure that it's actually better. I actually... For a friend's son, he was wanting to go to Georgetown, and that's where I'm a professor in the graduate school, and I also am an alum. And so I wrote a recommendation for him. And just for fun, I also put his information into ChatGPT and asked them to write a recommendation for him. And I sent him both. And the one that the the chatbot wrote was fine, but it was very generic. And the one that I wrote was a little more personal. It took a little different approach. I took Georgetown's key values, and I applied his experience to Georgetown's key values, whereas the chat just basically was like, here are the reasons. So he chose mine, which I was very happy. He liked mine better. It's like the option of which one he wanted. But again, I think it didn't do a bad job on it, but it didn't do the job that a person could do. And I think that's what we need to remember. So definitely play with it. We'll see where we end up with it. I think there's definitely something there. I'm sure that 10 years from now, it'll be common practice to use AI in our email marketing, but I'm not sure that It's going to be doing strategies solely on its own for us. I'm not sure it's going to be writing emails. There's still something to the human touch. Yeah, definitely. Not especially even with varying prompts and stuff. Like you can't have everything done the same. Like we need to put our voices into it. And I think copywriting will get stronger because of this. The generic copy will become boring, even if it's good copy. (laughs) Exactly. Other changes. We've seen a real focus in recent years on automation. And I think that makes sense. It was back in. 2015, 2016, I did this slide that I still use in presentations today for a client. The slide basically said, look, I've looked at what we're doing and literally they had a, it was a test press prep company. So, you know, when people came in, we knew what tests they were preparing for. We knew when the tests were, there was a, like a limited time to sell them test prep materials. And I was like, look, there's no reason we can't automate all of this because we have enough information. And we're seeing more and more automated programs, which I think is great. I think the next step though is, and this is what I've been doing with a lot of my clients recently, people have been a little willy nilly about automating things. Oh, let's just automate it. Oh, we're gonna automate it. And again, it's email. So you automate it and it brings in a little money and you're like, hey, it's working. But going back and really taking a look at the content that's in the automations, because it's not really about the automation. That's not what makes it successful. It's the content that's in there. It's the key messages and fine tuning them and putting them in the right order. So that's one thing I've been working on a lot with my clients lately is, I'm so sorry, fine tuning the email automations that they've got and then creating new ones. But again, with a lot of thought that goes into content, I talked to someone the other day and I was talking about the way that I do features, benefits, advantages and obstacles and then turn those into a message map and then make it really tight. and. And he said, we don't really have time for all that. We just want you to write some automations for us. And I don't know how to do that without doing all the work because I don't want to do bad stuff. So I was like, okay. And I priced it. And if he signs, I'll be doing all that work. I just won't tell him about it because that work needs to be done before you can have a successful automation. So I think that's the other thing we're going to see is people being more thoughtful about the content I think the final thing that's going on, and this is the other second day keynote at my conference in June, is privacy. I think there's a lot going on with privacy, and I think that one level is what's going on at the regulation and legislation stage. 
in the states, we have it not really on the federal level, but on the state level, which is almost more difficult for us because you got to figure out where people live. That's got to get resolved. So there's a legislative piece of it. But the other piece of privacy is things like Apple's MPP, where one company unilaterally made a decision for consumers and they made it with regard to open rates and open rates always had a margin of error and not having good open rates isn't going to kill anything in email. I think in a way it's good because people relied on them too much. But the problem is what if some company decides that we shouldn't see what links people click on? That's a problem. And when I say a problem, I don't mean it's so much a problem for us in email marketing. It is because it's going to make it harder or impossible to do a good job. It's a problem for consumers because if I can see what they're interested in based on what they're clicking on, observed behavior, I can give them more relevant email marketing. Now, the problem in the industry is not everyone's doing this, right? So that's a problem. But for those of us who are, and for the companies I work with who want to, which is why they bring me in, we want to send more relevant email. We want to understand what's of interest to the consumer. It's a lot easier for a consumer to let us look at what they're clicking on than it is to fill out a long survey about what they're interested in. So I think that's the other avenue. And <laughs> ever since MPP, I've been thinking a lot about this. And I really wish the industry was taking a more proactive stance to talk to consumers about what we do about it's funny it never fails like when i teach trainings i'll have someone who says i ask what's your favorite email that you get what brand emails you and you really like it and they go i don't like email it's all spam i hate it and i said there must be one company yeah except for this clothing store that i shop at their emails are really good I always open them and then you're like, see, so you don't hate all email. You just hate your relevant email. And I think that's what we need to get people to start thinking about. So that's something it's, it's hard, right? Because I've been saying this for years, but I'm GM of OI. So watch this space because I think OI may step into this and try to start a more direct to consumer approach to talking about privacy and what's going on, because I'm not sure. Don't get me wrong, there's bad actors in the industry, I'm not gonna lie, but especially the people in OI are good actors and they're really trying to do right by their email subscribers. And I'm not sure people understand that. I think a lot of times we, again, just get painted with this spammer title and then people don't think much further. It was a really long answer, sorry, hello. Oh, it's fine, I'm loving every second, really, <laughs> really. All right, so yeah, we're talking about only influencers. How did that get started? And now it's, how many years ago was that? When it actually got started? And how many people are we now in this only unfortunate thing? And yeah, as a producer, everything you're hoping for and visioning. Oh, gosh. So Only Influencers was founded and by my industry friend, Bill McCloskey, back in 2010. So that would make it, what, 13 years old? So it's a teenager now. It's, for those who aren't familiar, Only Influencers was... A, pretty much the original community of email industry professionals. So there was a loose network before that where we were all on a discussion thread and we used to talk about things amongst ourselves and we would share tips and ideas. And Bill codified the whole thing in 2010 and built OI and opened it up. And it is, it is a paid group, so it's $200 a year to join. But it's really interesting. So the genesis of it initially was a discussion list where we would share thoughts via email and people would ask questions. During the pandemic, we also used to do in-person meetups, which were really fun. So we'd get a sponsor, we'd all get gather somewhere at a bar, grab a few beers, talk email. Sometimes there would be a guest speaker. When the pandemic happened, we weren't able to do in-person meetups anymore because of COVID. We started, I started the Thursday Zoom discussion and that has continued. And I would say that is probably one of the biggest benefits of OI in, in the most recent years. Basically, every Thursday at noon Eastern time, we get a speaker, someone who's written an industry article that's of interest, and we do a discussion. It's cameras on. Everyone's encouraged to participate. It's not a webinar, and there aren't any PowerPoints allowed. And basically, the author gets on, and he talks a little bit, a minute or two, about the genesis of his article and why he wrote it. And then people just start talking about it. They ask the speaker questions. They share examples. So it's a really great way to network within the industry. It's a really great way to expand your knowledge. We were 
the MPP situation, we, ta- we started talking about it pretty much immediately on those calls. People were writing blog posts about it. We were one of the first people out of the gate with a webinar about it that was open to everyone. But that's really what OI is. Has it met my goals? No, we're getting there. I have some pretty lofty goals. I would really like to do more with it, but it's a great group. We have about 400 email marketers from all different sides of the industry, brands and vendors. We have deliverability folks. We have strategists like me. We have creatives. So you can really find your niche and we're going to be doing more with it. Obviously, we do the conference every year, which is in Vegas. So I I do the programming for that. But uh, we're definitely growing. I think I think we're getting there. Bill, who founded it in 2010, Bill McCloskey, he actually retired in 2019. He sold only influencers and his share of the conference to his conference partner, Rising Media. And they actually hired me to run OI and program the conference because Bill said, you're going to need somebody to do this stuff. And God bless Bill. He recommended me, which was really nice. So it's been really fun. It's like another way to leverage my contacts and my knowledge in the industry. And we have volunteer committees, which are great. We do a lot with the EI Metrics Project. We actually have a webinar tomorrow where the members of that committee are going to talk about AV split testing and how to improve performance. So it's just, it's a great resource for anyone in the email marketing industry. And if you're looking to meet other people and give back, you should definitely join. If you join, you can meet people you might want to hire. You can meet people you might want to work with meet people you might want to work for, but you're definitely going to meet, meet people who understand email marketing, which I'm divorced now. I was married for a lawyer for six, to a lawyer for 16 years, and it used to be hard. You'd want to come home and talk about something that happened, and he didn't know anything about email marketing. So while he was typically a very good listener and he would try, um, it's nice. I think you understand this, Hillel, to talk to someone who actually understands <laughs> what you're talking about and knows what you're going through, and that's what OI can provide. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I can tell you last, my last, my previous recorded episode was with a guy, Michael Johnston. He has no digital profile at all, but he's head of, e, of what's it called? Moose Jaw, e-commerce. Yeah, like he's a memo guy. So yeah, it's such a great time. Just be up and talk about email for an hour. Yeah. For sure. It's just, you don't have those discussions otherwise. Exactly. So you mentioned this question before, but yeah, what are your favorite brands or newsletters that you love to read in your inbox? Oh, gosh. So for industry stuff, again, Chad White's email rules blog, the OI newsletter, which we publish, but I'm still very proud of it. My email optimist shop newsletter, we try to keep people up to date. Janet Roberts, shout out to Janet. She's my newsletter editor for both OI and email op shop. And she does a great job of finding industry articles. She puts them together and gives me a list and then I choose which ones to include. There's a lot of companies that are doing really good email now. There's, I really like Marriott's emails. It's funny, a couple of years ago for Valentine's Day, they sent out an email that had different suggestions based on the state of your romantic relationship, which I thought was like just a great idea, right? Like for that new relationship or, and so I think they're doing a really good job with their emails, but yeah, there's a lot of really great emails out there and it depends on what it is. I have emails from clothing brands and I love just browsing. But you can definitely steal ideas. So definitely take a look. There's a lot of really good emails out there. Yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the main things that we're doing is looking for great examples of stuff we could use in our own brands that we're working with. And for clip files, I love the really good emails, folks. Do you do really, do you, have you ever checked out really good emails? It's yeah, a website yeah, and sure. it's a big clip file of emails. So that's another great resource for marketers if you're looking for ideas. For sure, for sure. They're also great pictures boards people have put together. Same uh-huh. kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I have to check that out. I'm not a big Pinterest user. <laughs> what opportunities do you think a lot of email marketers are missing out on? Do you mean like as far as in their programs, like things to do? Yeah, like- yeah, like tools or ways that they could be optimizing their flows or whatever that they're just not, yeah. not doing or not implementing. I think a lot of the things I talked about earlier, like strategic reasons, looking at the creative and A-B split testing. I think anyone who's, and this is the other thing I do with my clients, anyone who's running on a just-in-time production process for your email where you're constantly scrambling to get it out the door, you need to get out of that. There's really no reason in this age, day and age to be doing that. And when you have more time to do the emails, there's a lot more thought you can put into it. And that's what really matters. 
So I think that would be one thing. I meet so many email marketers who are just, they're on this treadmill and it just never stops. And you can't, you can't put it together a great email if you're doing everything on it today and it's got a mail tomorrow. So that would be the other thing I would say. I've actually worked with clients where we were on that kind of a crazy treadmill and I would say, we're going to do an A-B split test next week. And they'd be like, okay. And then next week they'd be like, oh yeah, we haven't looked at that brief you sent us yet because it doesn't go until tomorrow. And I said, you're going to need to create a whole landing page. We don't have time to do that. And we've actually stopped the emails cold because it just doesn't make sense. When you're in that place where you're not thinking it through, you're just throwing them out there. That's not a place to be. All right. What are your favorite automations to work in or optimize? My favorite automation is card abandonment emails because they are always high revenue per email sends. So that would be my favorite automation. I just, I love the idea of automations. I love digging in and figuring out what we can automate and then prioritizing based on the resources it's going to take and the potential return. And so I'm very much driven by the revenue or the conversion or whatever's going to keep the lights on at the business. So I think that's another reason I work well with my clients because that tends to be what they want to work on. And that's really what I want to go to. Yeah. My favorite metric far and away is revenue per email. That is what I live for. All right. Awesome. All right. We're at the end. Oh my goodness. Uh, so <laughs> for inviting me. This has been such fun. <laughs> for sure. So yeah, please, final thoughts. Just go for it. Whatever you want to share. Just if you're out there doing email marketing, keep it up. Do some study, check out some resources, do some maybe split testing and just stick with it. And if you need some help, reach out to someone. Hillel is a consultant. I'm a consultant. And just, just keep doing it because there's so much great stuff here. And again, Hillel, thank you so much for inviting me. That's all for today's episode of Inboxing. Um, big thank you to our guest. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Any feedback or suggestions, please just reach out to me at hello at um, Before we go, I want to remind you there's still sponsorship opportunities available for Inboxing. Uh, so if you're interested, you can just reach out to me again. Thank you for listening and tune in next week, every Monday, for the next episode of Inboxing.